Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 73. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. What's up, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> I always have to hesitate to not go into a Bugs Bunny routine. <laughs> when you, you can do that. I'm waiting for that. <laughs> I know. I've I've tried it, and I see how bad it is. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've made the obvious choice not to do it, no matter how tempting it might be. But if I if I ever perfect it. I'll come out with that. I'm waiting. <laughs> We're ready. <laughs> I'll also say that I'm not busy trying to perfect it. <laughs> so don't be counting too much. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide today, along with Christina, as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy, searching for optimal health. Today we have a, a very unique guest with us, Poonam Chowdhury. She's a board-certified internal medicine doctor. She's also an emergency department physician at the Department, uh, U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. She's a hospitalist. She's a clinical assistant professor at UCSD. She's a teacher of medical students and residents. She also does research, and she is published. We've got a lot to talk about with Poonam today. So before we introduce Poonam, I would like to tell everyone that is listening and watching today how to get in touch with us and ask her questions. Christina. Well, at any time during this live presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment by scrolling down on your screen and just typing it into the comment box. Be sure to click Submit, and I can share it with our guests and uh, Dr. Glenn Woolman. And if you so choose, you can actually call into our conference line and ask the question yourself. The number there is 323-476-3997, and your conference ID is 607-393-POUND. 607-393-POUND. And if that went by a little too quickly, not to worry. It will show up on the screen during the show. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, you're welcome, Christina. So I would like to introduce uh, Poonam Chowdhury today to all of our guests and welcome her to Magical Medical Tour. How are you, Poonam? I'm good. Good morning. And thank you for having me on the show, Christina and Glenn. It's a pleasure, of course. Good morning, yeah, Poonam. Are... <laughs> thank yeah. you for being on our show. <laughs> Very happy to have you with us. Thank Poonam, you. Usually, usually as the medical guide, I like to tell our viewers where we're going to go today. So first, we're going to learn a little bit about you and how you got interested in medicine. Then we're going to talk about uh, the many aspects of medicine that I mentioned earlier, internal medicine, hospitalist, and that's an area where some people may not know too much yet. Emergency medicine, teacher, and researcher. Also, you do some worldwide work, and hopefully we're going to have some time to get into all of these. How does that sound to you? Sounds great. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, without further ado, uh, we always like to know, what got you interested in becoming a physician? What were the influences? When did it happen? Give us a little bit of the path up to, up to you getting to medical school. Um, so as far as getting into medicine, I, I knew pretty early on I wanted to go into medicine. And uh, part of it is because I've lived in so many different places, including India. And um, it, 
it was around when I was seven, I, I went to, um, one of the most distinct stories is when I, I went to an appointment and I ended up uh, going to a hospital. And this is a very, I was in Calcutta, it's a very cosmopolitan city. And I saw um, patients on gurneys on the floor and I was, um, I, I was shocked. I had no idea why people would be on the floor and nobody was taking care of them. So I asked my mom, who was with me, I was like, I, I don't understand. And my mom, rather than shielding me from it, which was, I'm, I'm glad she never did, you know, she was like, you know, the unfortunate part is that there's just not enough medical care. And unfortunately, the poor sometimes don't get the same treatment. And mm -hmm. so I remember I, I turned to her and I said, I'm going to change that. I'm going to treat everyone the same. And she was like, okay, you do that. Mm -hmm. So and then throughout the years, they were very encouraging. My parents, my uh, they wanted us to be, my sister and I, um, to be very independent and uh, educated, but they always wanted us to do something of service. So that that was pretty much the focus a, a, a long way through, uh, you know, for a long time. So I kind of knew early on, which always helps. So you got through medical school and... When did you decide you want to go into internal medicine? I know that when we were all in medical school, there were many different different uh, specialties and subspecialties would, we could go into. And usually the brainier people, the ones that like to think a lot, the smarter ones, <laughs> went into internal medicine. That wasn't me. <laughs> That's true. Chris, Christina, you, you, like myself, studied surgery probably would have been. <laughs> I started out thinking I was going to be a surgeon and then I was like mm, no <laughs> I don't want to be stuck in a room that's cold for hours but um I loved adult care I wanted to take care of a patient from start to finish and see if I could make them better not just for a moment but kind of follow through, but that evolved too when I went into further training into residency as well. So, and we're going to talk about hospital medicine versus um, general practitioners and such, but um, I, I just, you know, surgery, I, I love procedures, but there was something about being on a team and working together and to go from A to B to C and see a progression was um, very satisfactory when I was in medical medical school. And I had a lot of good mentors in medicine, which always shapes us. So mm. that definitely geared me towards internal medicine and it just fell into place. Yeah, that it seems like many of the specialties have to do with how uh, one looks at how they want to take care of people. For me, in emergency medicine, I wanted to see them acutely and then move them to someone else to take care of them over long-term periods. I just sure. wanted the acute medicine. Uh, what's the what's the training just for people that may want to become a physician and go into internal medicine? What is the training to become board certified in internal medicine, and how do you have to keep up your training? Sure. Um, it's, it's long, <laughs> but, <laughs> but 
you know, you go through your undergrad. I did two years of undergrad, um, and then I went into medical school. I, I kind of knew it was uh, focused, but normally it's four years of undergrad, and then you go into medical school, which is another four years, and then you choose a specialty, surgery, internal medicine, ER, and it depends on what your specialty is, how long you uh, train. So for internal medicine, it was three years, and then after that, you take a a board exam. I mean, you have several board exams up until that point, but then you take the board exam for that specialty. And um, usually, if you had graduated before, I believe the 80s, <laughs> I'd be wrong, but you don't have to research every 10 years. But current, you know, currently, all of us recertify and take the boards again at 10 years. Um, we do a lot of CMEs and continuing medical education to keep things up. We have to renew our medical licenses every two to three years. So there's a lot there as far as keeping yourself updated, and, which is good, which is, which is really necessary. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, I'd like to ask, just as a quick aside question, I wasn't going to ask you this, but I'm just curious for those... We're always concerned uh, and trying to help young people in making decisions about careers to go into. And clearly, Magic Medical Tour, we're trying to get people into healing careers. Uh, did you have any issues along the way, either getting into medical school, through medical school, through residencies, or in any of your practices now with glass ceilings or not being treated equally because you were a woman? You know, honestly, I never looked at it in such a way if it was there. I never blatantly saw it. And I, I grew up in an environment when my dad always said, you want it, go out and get it. If it's hard, work harder, you know? So there was never anything blatant, but there were situations where I've heard of, and I know of colleagues where, you know, they couldn't quite reach that high as, as high as they wanted to. There are some very male-dominated fields in medicine still, but things are changing and changing for the better in those kinds of things. And people are focusing on um, equal treatment. But, you know, 50, 20, even 10 years ago, you know, it, it was more male-driven medicine in general, and some specialties are still very male-driven. But honestly, I see women in pretty much every specialty at this point, and they're doing amazingly well. So The women that made the decision to be in medicine never looked back and never thought about it. They just were blasting through and doing what they wanted to do and didn't exactly. take it as an issue. Yeah, Exactly. So let's talk for just a few minutes about internal medicine, and then we'll move on to some of the other uh, aspects of what you do. For people that don't know, uh, clearly we've talked about before, it's, it's very different being an intern in your program of training versus internist or internal medicine. How does, how does, how and why does someone choose to go to see an internal medicine doctor versus a family practice doctor versus a primary care doctor versus uh, a general practitioner? Sure. Um, a lot of times, general practitioner, internist, these words are kind of interchangeably used. Um, when you're being specific as far as someone's uh, board certification and you say internal medicine, it's adult medicine. 
I, I look at it as anything you can think of with adult medicine, that's what we're trained to do. Family practitioners, on the other hand, do more of family care. Two-year-olds, one-year-old to 90-year-olds. So they're sort of your outpatient go-to people for if you have a family and you want to go to one person, that's the person. Internal medicine, is they, they focus on a little bit more concentrated on just adult care. So internists actually can do GP, general practitioner, primary care, outpatient clinic, or they can work as a um, in the hospital as hospitalists, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I, I'm assuming, but, um, but they can do inpatient care and outpatient care. I feel like family practitioners are a little more outpatient oriented and kind of globally takes care of families. Um, so that's the general idea. General practitioners are basically, they can be internists, family practitioners, they could be pediatrician, anyone who kind of takes care of you in an outpatient setting that you can call and it can, can, can call your primary care. So if, if you're an adult and you're in relatively good health and you just moved to a new area or you just got a new insurance policy and you're trying to choose the doctor you want to go to in your network and area sure. uh, and you look and you see uh, family practice, internal medicine, do you have a suggestion for anybody in making that choice, whether they should go to one versus another? To be honest, no. Uh, but I mean, obviously I'm an internist. So I'd be like, Oh, go to the internist. But I have a family practitioner that I go to and I love him, you know? Mm -hmm. So it just honestly, who connects with you the best. So um, between a family practitioner and, and an outpatient basis, I don't think that, you know, you should uh, hesitate to go to one or the other. If you have kids and you want to go to the same doctor, your family practitioner might be, you know, an option. If you have a pediatrician for them, you can opt to go to an internist or a family practitioner. So that's a good point. And thank you for that. Awesome. So as you said, let's segue into uh, your next career, unless there's something that you want to tell us specifically that you think that our viewers should know about internal medicine or picking a doctor, we can move into your next uh, hat so to speak. <laughs> let's go on to our next path. <laughs> okay. I'm getting let's excited. Go, let's go down the path here. So this is an area that <clears throat> has just started maybe within the last 10 years or so, at least in my recognition of it. These are people called hospitalists. Christina, mm. do you know what a hospitalist is? No, no, that's a new this term is, for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a new term and many people don't know it. So one of the things that happens is you, you finally pick your general practitioner or your family mm -hmm. practice doctor or your internal medicine doctor, and you're seeing them for all your life, and then uh, something critical happens. You have uh, a heart attack, or you go into congestive heart failure, or some other thing that requires a hospitalization, and, and you're thinking all along in your life that you're going to be taken care of by your doctor who's taken care of you and knows you for many years. And suddenly you show up in the hospital and there's someone else taking care of you, possibly someone you haven't known, and they introduce themselves as a hospitalist. So, <laughs> like, uh, okay, I'm oops. backing it in. I'm going out the door. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. <laughs> Ooh, so, wow. so Poonam, uh, tell us uh, what a hospital it is, is and 
and teach us how to say it a little more correctly. <laughs> You're doing great. Uh, <laughs> tell us about it and what it's like being a hospitalist. Sure. Um, you know, I uh, when I trained, uh, the concentration in, during my training, and every training is a little bit different, it was more inpatient care, meaning that when you're admitted in the hospital. So we focused a lot on it. So I, I knew a lot more. I was more comfortable in it. So a hospitalist, you know, initially, you know, back, back in, I'm going to say in the day, but this is prior to like 10 or, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of times, you know, your general practitioner would be on call. You'd go into the hospital, them or that person, your general practitioner or somebody from their team would take care of you when you're admitted. What has happened in medicine is medicine has become, it's, it's broadened. Things have gotten, you know, people kind of specialize into their niche and people who do outpatient medicine or people you see in, in primary care where you go to the clinic, they take care of everyday daily things, uh, routine uh, preventive issues and such and small issues that come along. When it comes to hospital care, it becomes more specific, things that are more acute, things that need more aggressive mm-hmm. care. So what has happened is internists, some of us have specialized into hospital medicine, meaning that we take over for your primary care once you are admitted. So we become your general practitioner in the hospital. We are the ones who are calling the consults. We are the ones who are getting your diagnosis. We are doing the workup from start to finish. Usually hospitalists work 12 hour shifts. They work seven days on and then they're seven days off. This is Mm. the last several, I mean, 10 years or so that's been the schedule. People are trying other shift schedules. There is such a thing as as well as a nocturnist who mainly they're essentially are hospitalists, but they work mainly nights. So they'll do seven nights, seven nights off, or they'll do several nights. So hospitalists and nocturnists are very new terms that um, a lot of physicians um, aren't really sure what's going on with them. But um, so, but in any case, but you know, um, there are those people who are still doing outpatient care and inpatient. So they sometimes are hospitalists. They moonlight as hospitalists and do primary care. So there's combinations out there. It's not like one thing and nothing else, but uh, it, it's growing. Mm-hmm. It's very growing, big skills. So, so what what you're saying is, if if you want the same doctor in the hospital, you better find a doctor that is an internist. As well as a hospitalist at the same time, and it's, hope you yeah. land in the hospital when it's there. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. And it's hard. It's hard. And I think wow. it's, you know, it, the hours get crazy. And usually, hospitalists, you know, as you can tell, seven on, seven off, it, it can get, you know, it can be 10, eight hours. It depends on the hospital, seven hours, but you stay as long as you need to that one day. But seven on, most of the times, that's seven days they have off. They're not really doing medical care a lot of times just because they need a break. Mm. So, um, yes. And I think it's, there's a division of outpatient care and inpatient care at this point. Mm. Can the, uh, can the patients still see their own doctor in a hospital? I mean, even if they're not able to admit them and be the one that's running the show, their doctor still can come in and see them, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and I see it all the time. And it's I've seen patients get on the phone with their primary care doctor. Is this okay? And yeah, you know, right. and we'll talk to them. So yes, it's a constant communication with everyone, of course. Uh, and one of the things that's important as a person that might come into the hospital, and you alluded to this a few seconds ago, if 
many times now people are in and out of the hospital fairly quickly. But every once in a while you get a patient that has some something wrong where they're in the hospital. They could be in for one, two weeks, three weeks, a month, a month and a half, something like that. And at that time, as you said, they may end up seeing a different hospitalist also every week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So is there anything that you couldn't tell us that would help us as patients that might have to be hospitalized <laughs> to uh, know about a hospitalist? Or should we talk to our primary care doctor about the hospitalist that we might be getting before we ever go into the hospital? Is that a good conversation to have? I, I think um, talking to your physician in general is a, is a good idea. Um, always thinking ahead is a good thing. You know, just say, hey, which hospital would I be going to? What is the, my closest hospital and what's their system like? If I got admitted there, um, do you go? I would ask my GP, you know, general practitioner, do you go over there? Are you affiliated with them? Um, which hospital do you normally visit? Um, can I call you if I get admitted? You know, and usually most physicians you know, absolutely. And usually a hospitalist does pick up the phone and talk to your um, your physician as well to find out what's going on, what your normal baseline is. And mm-hmm. so don't think that, um, you know, and, and ask these questions of the hospitalist as well. So, uh, um, and ask them to pick up the phone and talk to, <laughs> to your primary care physician as well. So um, there should be, everybody should be part of your care. It's, it's teamwork. Yeah, and that's a great point. You really said that very well. I think being proactive, which we always talk about in Magical Medical Tour, uh, it would be a great idea to have this hospitalist who may not know you for the first time while you're having your critical uh, issue to have some background from the from the doctor that's taking care of you all the time. Absolutely. So let's move from the hospitalist and the internist into the next area. You work in emergency medicine, where I was for a long period of my life. Tell me how that happened. Tell us how that happened. I was uh, going to subspecialize in internal medicine, and I had some time in between, and I was I was a traveling physician, so we go from different places, and we, we, we do a couple months here, a couple months there, and I ended up getting a job at um, the VA hospital in San Diego, and uh, uh, I, uh, I had a VA that I trained in as well when, when I was in um, when I was a physician in training, I also worked at MVA, so I was very comfortable with the system. And so when I got there, you know, most of it was internal medicine driven. And so because, as you know, most of our vets are adults. So it makes sense that adult internal medicine can do ER medicine there because we could handle the acute things for um, adults, most acute things. So uh, I loved it. I fell in love with it. Um, I loved my boss <laughs> and my colleagues, and uh, she actually gave me a, a permanent job there. And so um, I didn't move. <laughs> I didn't leave. I fell in love with San Diego, and, and I stayed on. And uh, it's uh, been a while. <laughs> it's been several years. Now, I have to say that my experience in emergency medicine and when I work with all of the different specialties and subspecialties the internal medicine doctors uh, 
as we said at the beginning, you're the ones that are the, the real thinkers. You like to contemplate all the hundreds of possibilities that everyone could have uh, for one little lesion on a finger or something. <laughs> totally how does, true. How do you how do you take that and shift into thinking like an emergency doctor, or do you? I think I found a happy medium in between. Um, I work up things really quickly um, where I need to. The, the good thing is that we have a, a system that we we don't have to, a lot of times, the VA system is all interconnected. So a lot of times all the history and everything is right then and there. You kind of get a feel of what you need to work up really quickly or there might, or this patient feels like there's something more. And when that something more kicks in, I do slow down a little bit and pay a little more attention. I'm more careful. Um, and if I feel like, and, and a lot of times you can't work certain things out in in the ER. Either you admit the patient and I'm usually on the phone and saying, hey, I'm an internist. These are the other things I'm thinking about. Can you work these up? You know, just FYI. And it's usually another internist on the other side of the phone. So they totally understand it. On the other side, you know, or I'll be like, okay, I'm going to get you a primary care appointment. I'll write it in my note. Like, these are the things I'm thinking about. Uh, can you guys work this up? So I feel like it's nice for me because I know what's on the other side. And I think, you know, I can think of the most common things. And then I think of zebras, which are the uncommon things. <laughs> we get excited about zebras because they're uncommon. Definitely. You can't help it, you know. Um, if you do the same thing over and over again and then you think of something, it, it's some out of norm, you get excited. So I make the venue open up so that it can be worked up properly. I don't always get to do the workup myself, but I get to sometimes just follow up and see, oh, that's what happened. Just just for our viewers and for Christina, who represents all our viewers, uh, there's always something that we say in medicine, especially in emergency medicine, is when you hear hoof beats, <laughs> think of it's horses, horses. <laughs> not, not, a duck. <laughs> not a duck True. or something else. But the right. internal medicine doctors are always thinking of the zebras. And, and, you know, sometimes it's great because sometimes we do have the zebra. Mm. I, I want to ask you a question about the VA hospital. Most of us, you know, are very concerned about uh, people in our country and all countries that go to war. And then when they come back, we hear all sorts of stories about paperwork and, and veterans not being able to get into programs because of lots of paperwork and backup and and government uh, rules and regulations. So that that always concerns a, a lot of us hearing about people that have sacrificed in many ways. Okay. What I'd like to know from you, and I have this belief that once someone actually gets into the hospital, the care they get is not the paperwork type of care that we're worried about, but they're really getting excellent care. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening to our veterans in hospitals, the veterinary, veteran hospitals? Um, so, you know, VAs are very, very um, tightly monitored in the sense that everything is up to date. Every study, everything that's new coming up, we get an email about it. We are we have a pharmacist sitting by our side to go over every medication we're giving patients. 
it is highly monitored because the government doesn't want to make a mistake. Okay. And they're very, they're, they're very careful about it. They're very, when it, when someone comes in with acute care, it might be a civilian and not a veteran. We give them care. So you can't deny care to anyone. And it is care that is equal to everyone. Now we might have to say, Hey, this, this, whatever we're trading you for this cut or something isn't going to, we're going to take care of it right now, but Hey, go, go on ahead and go to your primary care to follow up because it's not life threatening. But yes, the answer to that question is uh, the, the sad part is the papers, paperwork is cumbersome, but uh, as you know, the paperwork is cumbersome everywhere. Um, and a lot of times what happens is veterans come back with a lot of issues. They, the last thing they're thinking of is going and figuring out paperwork. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, you know, if they have the social support and like the push to come to the VN or, or call to just get it all started, but you don't need the paperwork to come to the ER to get seen. You show up, they can, it doesn't matter. You get seen. Um, the paperwork is cumbersome. And I honestly, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't even know everything that goes into the paperwork outside, you know, just to get established and all that stuff. But I know that they will get you a primary care. I know if you call that they will try to get you in as quickly as possible. They are trying to streamline the system as much as possible. I think the the most important thing is to not start the paperwork when something is wrong. It's to do it right when you're coming out and you're ready to, you know, just to get a primary care. Just get it all, get, get it started when you're healthy and not have anything wrong. That's a good tip for our veterans and for everyone, actually. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, for everyone, really. And it's, uh, it's not just at the VA, I think. <laughs> it's uh, everyone across the board having something set up, right? It's, it's hard for me to set it up. And I'm civilian with my, you know, and I'm kind of like, wow, the paperwork everywhere is just insane. Mm. So. Mm. So, Poonam. Uh, there's so many areas that we need to cover here. Uh, I feel like I would like to spend more time in each, but I want to get at least some of all of them, and then we can go back and sure. do a little more. Uh, you mentioned uh, when we were first talking, you mentioned that you you did a lot of travel medicine, or you traveled around doing medicine in many places. So I'm guessing that some of that is in the United States, but uh, possibly knowing you uh, around the world also. Have you done medicine in other parts of the world? I have. I have. Um, I I make it a point to um, once a year go overseas, um, and uh, it's sort of my way of giving back um, and do free medical care in um, different countries. And so I've been to Honduras, I've been to Panama, and uh, last January I went to Ghana. um, And... uh, I keep going back, obviously, because they've been very good experiences, but we set up, I've been going with San Diego State um, students, and they go, they have, they have a group of 40 um, students, other practitioners, and we all go set up clinic, and people come from, like they, you know, when we were in Honduras, people would walk like three hours, four hours to just, with their kids, with their little kids. And they would just, and they're so nice and grateful for like, you know, Tylenol, mm. you know, like, you know, they, they work in the fields most of the time, a lot of, because it was, it's rural medicine. And, um, 
you know, the, a lot of them have arthritis. Um, and, you know, so they want bone, like things for their bones. And, you know, a lot of like preventative care stuff that we talk about. Now, granted, I've seen like sad things as well. Like I was in Panama and I saw someone with obviously a breast mass and I referred her um, and a pretty big one. Um, and so I referred her to the bigger hospital that was there, but they would have to travel. And um, so there's a lot out there to do. And I, uh, um, it, it's exciting every year that I get to go somewhere and I get to see a new place, a new culture, new foods. <laughs> so <laughs> when, when you go, uh, and this obviously comes back to the influences early on that you wanted to make a difference and make change and, and be of service. And clearly that's part of it. When you come back from each of these places, are you different in your practice of medicine? Absolutely. I mean, you come back refreshed. It, it, it stops you. I mean, most of these places, you, you don't have phone reception, you don't have an internet, you don't have anything. It is medicine at its best, you know, and medicine uh, it, where, you know, it, it, you know, you don't wor- worry about litigation. You don't worry about, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's so, it's, it's so pure. I don't know how else to say it. And and you learn so I learned so much when I go over there and people are just amazing. Um, so the thing is that, yes, you come back changed and you, you kind of, it jump starts your batteries mm. because you get kind of get tired in medicine after a while, because, you know, you internalize, you know, you hear so much stuff about people's worries, anxieties, um, disease. Um, and sometimes you get bogged down, but these, Every time I've gone, you come back and it's kind of like, wow, you know, um, it's amazing, amazing experiences. Mm, um, You've had some work with the United Nations? Mm -hmm. I have. Um, I actually initially, um, about two years ago, started volunteering online and we actually ended up um, making children's book and teacher's book at uh, uh, for a school in Uganda um, about basic health care, colds, coughs, fevers, and we did presentations that they can be taught and the families too. Um, and then I went on to talk to the San Diego chapter of the UN and just recently I was um, sat down with three other, uh, two other professionals um, and we talked to a group of young, um, and, 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 you know, people who have careers, but we sat down and we talked about, um, women in different professions. Uh, there was a judge there. I was there in medicine, a professor, and we talked about our lives kind of like this, um, and our experiences and our influences. And it's been amazing. And, um, we're supposed to do a round table on, um, our experiences in Ghana as well, uh, in, in hopefully in the fall with uh, the UN and San Diego chapter. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> You're a very busy person. Christina, did you have a question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's the other tsunami, huh, Glenn? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> really. I know. I'm sometimes like, I need to take a day to just sleep, but it never happens. I can't sit still. <laughs> no, no. Action begets action. I mean, that's, that's really magnificent, um, you know, because as, as you very well know, we're doing this and, and it's all about the online learning. And it's so great to hear that. that so, so what you're doing is you're teaching this online through the UN. Is that correct? Um, the UN, it, it's interesting. You know, anyone can volunteer. 
Mm-hmm. You can leave your house. You know, sometimes people think, oh, I, I, I can't travel, so I can't go work for the UN. You can. You can volunteer. Just go on and just say UN volunteer online. And people like all over the world will post certain things that they need help with, like children with the English language. If you're bilingual, so you can be sitting in the States and teaching someone in Spain. Mm-hmm. And the, or India, you know, I have two, I do know two languages and you can set up class times and be interactive. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I and mean, there's different things like there was that project in um, Uganda and um, it was voted as one of the top 10 most um, influential online um, uh, projects that year. But it, it was a way to give back. You know, it's just simple things. I mean, th- simple things you and I can talk about, about colds and coughs and fevers. What do you do with your child when, you, when they have a fever? Or the other thing was we got to talk about HIV and tuberculosis mm. and big things that they see a lot of. And simple care that they can do and hygiene that uh, we could just kind of teach. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was an amazing, uh, amazing time, and uh, it's been it's been a great opportunity. Mm, beautiful. That's a great segue mm-hmm. because uh, I was just thinking that as you said, after you do your internal medicine and after you do your hospitals work for the week and after you do your emergency medicine, uh, when it's time for you to rest, instead of resting, you go and teach. <laughs> so you're teaching medical students and and residents. Are you teaching them internal medicine, emergency medicine, hospitalist, uh, travel so, medicine, everything? Uh, sort of everything. I, I feel uh, the residents come through the ER, uh, so I get to teach them a lot of internal medicine slash ER medicine. So I get to do both, which is amazing, which I really like. Um, and the medical student, I get to teach them, you know, the, the organ systems, you know, they, they, they've made the transition between, you know, just straight up subjects that you and I had probably learned like pharmacology and pathology to organ systems. Like you learn everything about cardiology or the heart this session for the next month. And they learn the pathology, the pharmacology, and they, so they have this uh, so, you know, we, we've been doing um, GY the gynecology this last week, and it's it's amazing, you know, and, and a lot of the medical students learn, they self-learn now, and so things have changed in medical stu- schools a lot now, but, um, yeah, to be honest, because it's a great interaction. I'd like to ask you for uh, someone who is involved on so many levels, and you're looking at these medical students and residents. Uh, what do you see of the future of medicine based on the people that are coming out? Um, it's a hard question. <laughs> I have <laughs> to ask has, one. It's a hard question. Um, you know, I, I think medicine has gone through a huge transition and is still in the middle of a transition. Um, medicine, medical hours have changed. Medical students can't be, uh, med- uh, sorry, residents, the physicians that are in training cannot be in the hospital more than 60 hours a week. For me, you know, the loose 80 hours was there, but I was in the hospital like 100, 110 hours. So is that good or bad? I, I don't know the answer to that. There's less patient contact, but, you know, I see brilliant residents and I see residents who are still a work in progress, as I put it. Um, But uh, medicine is 
in flux. And the reason for it is they're trying to make medicine better. So there's all these studies. People do long-term studies to see what works, what doesn't work. It's a scientific process that we're still hoping to get right. But, you know, you put human beings in in the mix of it and then um, things kind of get muddy. Yeah. <laughs> Always. But it's changing. <laughs> I mean, it really is. There's brilliant people. But, you know, one thing I've noticed, it's intense to get into med school. I mean, I've been on committees that accept a residence and such. And you look at these resumes and you think, do you sleep? I mean, I've seen people who worked at the Patch Adams Institute in Germany. I mean, I've seen people setting up clinics in Manila. I'm like, well, you 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 were in med school while this is going on, so it's pretty impressive, you know. But hmm. we'll have to see in the next couple of years what it all turns out to be. You know, talking to you right now is so easy because you seem to help me segue into each different part of your process. Okay. You just talked, you just talked about okay. studies a few moments ago, right? Where it's a study in progress and we're doing studies and they take a long time. That's, that's the other thing that you do. You actually do research and you've published some papers uh, in an area that's very important for people. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I, I, I've always liked cardiology, the heart and the vasculature. And so I actually did some training in the Cleveland Clinic and I did some research there. And um, I've done, you know, here I've been doing a lot of work with uh, heart failure patients. And uh, heart failure is a, is a big, where, where the heart doesn't quite pump the way it's supposed to. So it's, it's a weakened heart is how I look at it. Um, for those who don't know exactly, heart failure seems like a, 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 you know, for most people who hear it, they're like, oh my God, my heart's dying. It's kind of a slow, chronic process and it get, you know, and, and a lot of people live with it for a long, for durations of time, but it is a big field. And so I've written several papers on it, but, um, there's a lot of research. Um, and the thing that I think patients need to know that, there's a lot of research be behind the medications that we give people or prescribe people or tell people that you should do this or do that. But it's ever-changing because there's more studies coming out. So we are learning. So medicine is very flexible. It's not a square, and you can't stuff every patient into a square. It's You work every every patient is different, and Everything is changing and in a flux. So all, all doctors are trying to find the best possible medication and treatment for their patients. So it's not all the same for everyone. One of the things that I think is great is that you've talked about some influences of your parents and, and you've traveled to many countries and you spent some time growing up in India where it's another culture and another type of medicine is actually practiced there. When you look at medicine today, how do you incorporate body, mind, and spirit into the practice of medicine? And if you do, do you teach that to the medical students? Um, I think I teach that to my patients more than anybody else. Uh, medical students, you know, they're they're usually there for a subject, a certain a, a certain. They have certain assignments, but I try to. I believe I do. And as far as the mind, body, and spirit, I don't think of them as separate things. They're a spectrum of, of the same thing. You can't treat the body without treating the mind and soul and first. 
because that's the most important. You can't have to kind of come in from the inside out. It can't be outside in. So for me, it's a spectrum. If you, it's not treating one or the other, it has to be everything at the same time. And I think that's the beauty of medicine. As you get time and more experience into it, you find a way to incorporate everything together. Um, people, most people do it automatically, I feel like, when they're in pain or they're in distress. And you have to start with them how they're doing emotionally mm. and then come outwards to whatever the disease is. Um, but I think it's easy to forget those things when you're busy and you're well or you think you're well or doing fine. And um, you kind of put the mind and soul in the background. And as you know, so I think it's it's part of my I grew up with it. So I think it, it it's. I don't see medicine as anything separate from it. It's mind, body, soul, spirit, everything together is medicine. It's healing everything at the same time. Mm. Does that answer the question? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, for me, it did. <laughs> did it for you, Doc? <laughs> uh, it was more like a colon for me. I wasn't necessarily looking for the answer, just enlightenment. <laughs> just did we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> and it never, it never ends, does it? That 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 journey continues <laughs> as, as it should. Punam, in your practice, in your experience, internal medicine, uh, traveling around the world, taking care of people in other countries, being a, a teacher, being a researcher, all of the things that we've discussed now. Is there any story that or patient? situation that that sticks in your mind that was a major learning life-changing experience for you and something that our audience might learn from so um there's a lot of stories obviously as as i'm sure you have tons of stories that change you over the course of time but one that had a very big impact on me had nothing to do with me being a physician i was actually the family member of the patient. And it uh, influenced me really greatly. And it really is something that helps me approach my patients. So I, I think that that's the one I'm going to tell you about because it's, the, and there's a take home message. Um, so I was a freshman in high school and my sister was a senior and we were sitting at the, uh, at the table, dinner table, and the TV was on. And my dad turns to my mom and he's like, I am not feeling well. But his Speech was slurring, and he's like, I can't move my right side. He's like, and he's slurring, and he's like, can you get me some ice? And my dad's very, very healthy normally, and he's, he was Mr. India three times. He was very into health. He took care of himself with a little bit of a caveat, so I'll get to that part. So my dad was having a stroke in front of me, and we call 911. He gets taken to the local ER. You know, my dad was lucky in the sense that he had a minor stroke, so he recovered well. Um, he doesn't have the dexterity he used to. He's an engineer um, of, his, uh, of his right hand, but you can't tell looking at him that he had a stroke very much. He goes to the gym. He takes care of himself. He had high blood pressure. And because it was so silent... He just never really thought. He thought, oh, if I just, you know, kind of monitored myself. But, you know, he kind of didn't, he shied away from treatment. And he ended up with a stroke. And 
he is now on meds. He's doing well. Um, it changed my life because it, you look at the situation and you think of, here's a completely, what seems like a healthy person looks great on the outside, but he went down in like a minute, a second. And you, you hear people die of strokes and, uh, you know, have permanent damage. It was a wake up call. And I tell my patients, um, you know, who'll come in for a cut or a bruise or whatnot, and their blood pressure's like soaring and they're forgetting to take their meds. And I was like, are you ready to die? Sometimes that's unfortunately the, the, the route I have to take, or uh, you need to take control of this. So, um, and different people have high, high blood pressure for different reasons, but it was a story that, um, it was an experience that changed me. And maybe also had a lot to do with why I went into medicine, but, uh, mm -hmm. um, it, uh, it was a learning experience, you know? So that was one, <laughs> but I wasn't the doctor. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Mm. Uh, Very powerful one when it comes to your own family. Absolutely. And, you know, now when I go in to talk to you and I almost automatically have done that, I become that person of the family member and I kind of deliver news in that sense. Mm -hmm. a oh, that's a great way yes. to practice. That's really beautiful, actually. It's compassion. Um, and it, uh, it does bring up that one point that we are vulnerable. And, yeah. and I always talk about this. We're made up of cells and at any moment, some cells could go haywire Absolutely. And, it, and it can happen in a second. I mean, that in the emergency department, we see examples all the time of someone who's going on their life in a perfect la-di-da fashion. And then suddenly it takes a, a right angle turn and their life has changed in an instant. Forever. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you become the deliverer of that moment. And uh, it's, it's you, you're walking in sometimes knowing that you're about to give someone news that is going to change them for the rest of their life. And it's, uh, and then sometimes it's not as obvious as a stroke. It's sometimes you have a brain tumor that you just had a couple of months of headaches and some weird symptoms of, but you know, nobody comes in who's 40 years old thinking I have a brain tumor mm -hmm. right. and I've had to make that the deliverer of that news. And it's a very difficult thing. Um, but you be, I become the person's family and I become, and, and I try to, and I try to deliver it in that way so that, um, you not only understand, but you know that there's someone standing in your court. So that's a great way to put that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great thing for every medical student to, learn as they go into practice to when you have to deliver information and in speaking with people always. I mean, certainly we need sure. to have uh, a little bit of a separation so we can be the doctor. Absolutely. But uh, I think with the compassion and coming from that point where they feel you are part of their family, it can be, uh, it can be very good for people to hear that, especially loved ones that might be around a bed Absolutely. of someone that's finding something else out. I want to ask you another question, which you talked about right at the beginning. Also, you, you saw that there were things uh, that were lacking in medicine. People were on the floor and poor people were treated differently. So mm -hmm. in your career now, uh, different than when you were a child, you see medicine 
from many different aspects. Yeah. Do you see anything lacking in medicine that you are trying to change and improve other than your own practice? I mean, you know, it, it depends on medicine where we're talking about, you know, medicine in India has, has come up. I mean, it, it's, it's come so far, uh, but it depends on where you are. You know, is this rural medicine or, mm-hmm. are we, you know, are we in the middle of, you know, uh, New York or are we in the middle of um, rural Pennsylvania? You know, kind of, so your resources, it depends on your resources. But my thing that I think there's lack of med, lacking in medicine that is completely a little bit separate. I think that people aren't taught enough about the human body mm-hmm. when they're young. Mm-hmm. You ask the average person, where's your liver? Where's your they really don't know. My appendix is up here. No, it's not. But it's not because they're not really, it's not a focus. I'm not talking about sex aid. I'm talking about health and common colds and, and certain things that you're, you, 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 I think people should know about their own body. We learn about history. We should learn about the body. So it should be a focus in school. So rather than people having to go to Google when they have a problem and Google and Google is a great resource, but you know, it's human nature to just go and, and focus on the worst thing it could possibly be. And then you have your patient walk into the ER and you're like, Oh my God, I've got this. And you're like, no, no. You know, you're trying to spend more time trying to get them to, you know, kind of step back and see the whole picture. So I think what I feel is um, lacking in medicine is uh, people need to learn about the human body young at a younger age. Like when they're young in school, it should be part of the educational system. I think there should be a focus on, on the inside of us rather than so much on the outside because you learn about so much else, but not, you know. That was uh, beautifully said. And again, you perfectly segue into... <laughs> the possibility of getting a health tip from you because that sounded so much like a great health tip uh, (laughs) that uh, I'm just wondering. And uh, do you actually have another health tip for it? Um, I do. And, and, and this is something I, I practice and uh, I've been doing it for a long time. And I think we get so stuck on the outside. How are we going to stay looking younger? How are we going to be thinner? How are we going to be happy? I'm, you know, and it's all on the inside, you know, just a piece come from the inside, center yourself, find some quiet. You know, I do it before I go to bed. I do it in the morning before I do anything else. Um, it is between you and yourself and no one else and the peace inside. I mean, you can see horrible things. You can see sad things. You, 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 you just watch the news and you're depressed. You know, if you just look inside, you can settle yourself down. The vibrations you've talked about, the cells in our bodies are all going in. You know, you can feel the vibrations of your soul. If you just sit and just quiet down and you'll find it all inside is just it's a process. It doesn't happen within one day. I don't think I've perfected it. And, um, I don't think most, but I think it's, it's a journey you have with yourself. Um, and I, and I think that too much time is spent on things that are on the outside. And I think people need to just kind of come back to themselves. Mm. That, uh, 
wonderful health tip was brought to us by Poonam Chowdhury. She's an internal medicine doctor. She's a hospitalist. She practices in emergency medicine. She travels around the world helping people. She's a teacher and a researcher. Christina, do you have any uh, thoughts? Thank you for that health tip, by the way. That was wonderful. One of our favorite health tips, right? <laughs> I think that's going to make the 2013 uh, I, I do believe so. best of. I do believe so. And I, I've already seen it already, uh, Glenn, for our roundtable forum. I, I do believe we should bring in uh, Poonam Chowdhury with uh, Nishjala Devi, who is, uh, she specializes with chronic heart diseases and yoga. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yes, yes. Um, she's that that has been her focus, healing of the heart. So for many, many years now. So she goes around internationally teaching that, and I think that would be just the perfect match. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, this has been fabulous. Thank you so much, Punam. It's it's well, really been a thrill you. getting to know your professional side, and you know, just adds to the whole the whole of you <laughs> the whole beauty of who you are it's fantastic thank you so much for honoring us today in our community thank yes. you so much for having me on the show of course we are grateful to our special guest punam chowdhury uh, for sharing her wisdom and expertise with us and i also want to thank uh, my teachers and my healers who have helped me on my journey and thank you christina and all of the yoga hub group um, as we get together to say goodbye today, looking forward to getting together next week as we search another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy. And until that time, thank you so much, Poonam, and I wish everyone optimal health. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Glenn Woolman and Poonam Chowdhury for all your wonderful time and expertise. Um, and of course, we'd like to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. May I remind you that you can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman by following him on Twitter, at Glenn Woolman, and of course, through his own site, at glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor square breath. That will definitely help you with our uh, tip from Dr. Punam Kaudri today. And of course, we are always grateful for your feedback. Give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK, 818-LET'S-TALK. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, namaste. YHTV's Trinity of Life. Come join me, Christina Suzama, as I journey to find the many modalities that support individuals, from children to adults to elders, with topics ranging from health and wellness, meditation, and inspirational stories. I invite you to visit yogahub.tv every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern.